We guarantee that you will be able to make a balloon poodle within the first day. Here at the UBC Ant Club, we just like to talk about ants and compare ant farms.、Uh, it's really cool. Paperclip Club is all about, well, paperclips mostly. At Blah Club, you can blah 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 blah. Explosions. There's only one club worth joining at UBC, and that's CITR 101.9 FM. We got free tickets to shows, whirly pops, professional help in all types of audio engineering, passes to festivals, crazy parties, live band swag, all types of crazy people. Our programming manager rides a motorcycle. There's freestyle rapping, Nardwar, the human serviette, the vinyl and record libraries, Discorder magazine, free studio recording, and it sure beats the hell out of Paperclip Club, which is a thing that I just made up because I work at CITR. So come check us out on the top floor of the Student Union Building. We got all types of crazy shit for you to do. Or check us out online at www.citr.ca. We've got a new kid in town. The July-August issue of Discorder, with features on Morning Coo, Ramsey, Woolworm, Whitney K, Adrian Teacher, and more. Art projects, comedy coverage, live music, and album reviews. This month's Discorder is packing. Pick it up around town at a local venue or record store near you. Any special thanks to this issue's advertisers: Shindig, Victory Square, Queer Arts Festival, Audio Pile, The Rio Theater, The Rickshaw Theater, Vinyl Records, Vivo Media Arts, Ponderosa, Fringe Festival, Volunteer Media, Catsalano, Rifflandia, Live Band, and AMS Events. Farewell, and stay hyper, Space Cowboy. Festival from July 23rd to 25th in Coquitlam. It's an annual festival of music, art, food, sports, and ideas celebrating Coast Salish territory. The three-day celebration includes two free live music stages featuring the Funk Hunters, DJ Headspin, Oz12, and more. Dozens more events listed online at www.allnationsfest.com.
Hey there. Barev. We're the Armenian Students Association, and we're here to bring together everyone, Armenians and non-Armenians, who are interested in learning about the Armenian culture here at UBC. Find us on Facebook at ASA UBC to stay up to date. We look forward to seeing you at our future events. Tune in every other Sunday from 3 to 4 p.m. for Blood on the Saddle with your host, Dan N., the real, authentic country. Good evening. You're tuned into CITR 101.9, and we are broadcasting to you live from unceded Musqueam territory in the new student nest at UBC. I'm Andy, and this is the Arts Report for July 22nd, 2015. I'm here with Jake. How are you, Jake? I'm doing pretty well. How are you doing? Doing great. Good to hear. So today on the show, we have an interview with uh, Tariq Leslie, starring in uh, now in Ensemble Theater's production of Frost Nixon. We also have an interview brought to you, brought to us by contributor Arlene Bowman, who spoke with some of uh, the women behind a recent art show highlighting the works of local indigenous artists. But first, the 2015 Polaris Prize shortlist has been announced. The award goes to the strangest Canadian, strongest Canadian album sorry, each year, regardless of label, genre, or commercial success. On that list for the first time is Buffy St. Marie with her album uh, Power in the Blood. From the record, here is Buffy St. Marie's with Sing Our Own Song.
Ensemble Theater presents Frost Nixon at the Jericho Arts Center. Um, this show, which is on until August 8th, is written by Peter Morgan and chronicles the historic 1977 interviews between British broadcaster David Frost and former President of the United States Richard Nixon. It was during this series of interviews when Nixon for the first time admitted to wrongdoing uh, regarding the, water ska- uh, the Watergate scandal and offered an apology to the American people. Uh, Tarek Leslie plays David Frost with Ensemble Theatre. He is also the artistic director, and he joins us over the phone. Welcome to CITR. How are you doing? Good, thanks. How are you? Doing really well. Thanks for taking the time with us. Oh, thanks for having me on. Now, uh, Frost Nixon is a historical play. It's also uh, it's, it's biography. Uh, how do you prepare uh, to portray a real and recognizable person like David Frost? Well, fortunately, I mean, in my case, I had um, I had quite a bit of knowledge of him beforehand um, because I, I, from about the age of, <clears throat> pardon me, fifteen or so, was uh, very much into British comedy, <clears throat> and he um, he had a he, was, he had a show in the sixties that was a forerunner to the Daily Show in many ways called That Was the Week That Was. Um, and so through, through just sort of devouring various British comedy and LPs and things like that, I had a, I had a knowledge of him. Um, and the other thing that is helpful, it, there is a measure of this being, uh, history and biography, absolutely. But Peter Morgan has also taken dramatic liberties with it. And, and to some extent, the frost of the play is a different a different frost than the historical frost, just to a certain extent, in any ways, uh, if only in in terms of motivation, things like that. When playing a a real character, do you run the risk of um, creating almost a caricature of someone, um, someone who's so recognizable? Well, I think it's a pitfall. Um, I'd like to believe, and. Uh, with the good guidance of Ian Farthing, the director of Frost Nixon, I, I, I believe I've, I've avoided that, as has uh, Michael Robinson playing Nixon. I think, I think the trick you have to do is capture the essence of these characters um, rather than doing a caricature. And uh, I think we've succeeded admirably uh, in that front with, with Frost Nixon. Once. One yep. advantage to the play is that you you have the entire tapes to to go back to and and to watch and and hours as well of David Frost's various TV shows. Um, did did you return to those? Oh, I absolutely did. Yeah, I mean, it was I, I've owned um, I own some of those interviews on uh, on VHS because they were issued in the nineties, I think, on VHS and. Uh, not as a full collection, but then um, probably in advent of the, you know, in, in anticipation of the film version of the of the play, um, that they were issued on DVD in the early two thousands, and I and I snapped them up then, and uh, I, I, it's one of those uh, poli sci was something that I studied for a time, and um, and and in particular this period of, of U.S. histories is something I've always been a bit of a political junkie about, so. Um, and, and I've always been very fascinated with Richard Nixon and his presidency. So, yeah, no, I was able to do that. And then there's YouTube clips of, of Frost 
from from shows that aren't otherwise available. So God knows how they end up on YouTube. But um, and there's some really interesting clips of him uh, him him interviewing some people that uh, that you know do certainly highlight the fact that he he was. Uh, not always in his element when he was uh, when he was interviewing people that weren't celebrities, mm-hmm. um, entertainment celebrities. Uh, you know, when there, there's some, uh, he he interviewed Bernard Mosley, and there's clips of that available online. Um, and he that was a he was a fairly famous British fascist, and um, he seems a little out of his element in that interview. And, and so there, there's little things like that that do help. Uh, because certainly the frost of Frost Nixon is is a little bit out of his element. The suggestion is made that Nixon agrees to this interview, the first interview since uh, since his regna- resignation as president, because he he knows it or he feels like it will be a, a, a soft pitch, sort of something that he will be able to uh, become to speak on the subject without getting hammered on say 60 minutes or something like that. that that's absolutely true. Um, and, and that is largely, uh, historically accurate. Um, the, the, the criticism was, was, was thrown at, uh, Frost and his people, um, allegations of checkbook journalism and the networks, NBC, ABC, CBS, all, all through that at him. But the truth is they were all bidding too. And he just outbid them. Mm-hmm. Um, and CBS was the major contender uh, behind Frost Nixon, and it was going to be Mike Wallace in 60 Minutes that was going to interview him. And it, yeah, but but Frost outbid them, and that was uh, that was that's definitely sort of the implication, and, and it was that it was felt that compared to how Mike Wallace would possibly grill him, um, D- uh, David Frost was likely not to. Uh, not to be quite so hardball. Well, and in the play they talk too. He he had interviewed him before uh, in in the primaries. I think before Nixon had right. become elected. And his, yeah. do you remember what his first question was? Oh, I think I think the question was at at root. Why do you think people are here on Earth? Yeah, I think something to that extent. You know, so it was a. Uh, yeah, it was a it was a strange question to ask a politician. Of course, um, but yeah. So for uh, what I mean, Nixon here he he's a a symbol and his legacy is, is you know kind of interesting today. He's more a part of well, he's just as much a part of popular uh, popular culture. Pardon me as um, as as history. But uh, what what happened to Nixon? Why did Nixon resign? Oh well, because of the Watergate scandal. I mean, and just just the 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 fact that just far too much evidence was coming to light that he had foreknowledge. Well, that if he didn't have foreknowledge of the break in and the activities of what became known or what was known as the Plumbers Unit, um, that he certainly was actively trying to uh, to cover up further um, exposure of what they'd been up to. Um, yeah, and 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 it just became insurmountable. So he, you know, he had to resign. And uh, I mean, it's interesting comparing him to politicians now because certainly, uh, you know, I'm sure everyone knows John Dean, um, who was, you know, one of the 
the good guys of Watergate, like he he wasn't uh, he was one of the people that testified and told the truth. Um, but I mean, he also put out a book during the Bush administration called "Worse Than Watergate." Mm-hmm. Um, you know, saying that as bad as Nixon was, this is even worse. Um, and I. I would argue that there are certainly some things that Stephen Harper is doing that are um, that are very Nixonian right now. Certainly doesn't seem to be a shortage of corruption that's uh, that's coming to light there. Um, so it's it's interesting, you know. But I mean, in many ways, Nixon wouldn't have uh, his corruption aside. Uh, Nixon wouldn't have a home in the Republican Party if today. I mean, he was quite moderate by today's standards um, in terms of what neoconservative has kind of done. Well, Michael Robinson, who who plays Nixon, he did an interview with uh, the UBC, a a newspaper here at UBC. uh, In in it, he talks about, um, and he's he's writing as a a biased left you know, left-leaning Canadian, he says that, um, you know, despite that bias, Nixon was the greatest diplomatic president the U.S. ever produced and um, Times you know, through Nixon, he improved the threat of nuclear war. He created the Environmental Protection Agency. He championed civil rights and removed segregation uh, from the South. Uh, did did Nixon receive fair treatment uh, in in the seventies in in America? Well, I think it's more a case that you know it, it over his the blots overshadowed his achievements. Um, you know, and and some of that. I mean, I'm not. I won't. In principle, I don't disagree with Michael. Uh, he's a friend. Um, but I, I, I also feel to some extent, you know, from, from my poli-sci days that, I mean, it's, a lot of that is true. Certainly the Environmental Protection Act is, is utterly true. But in, in case of civil rights, I mean, a lot of that was Johnson stuff. Now he could have vetoed it. He could have, or put it on his back burner, but he, he basically pushed through uh, Johnson's initiatives. Like he, he let them go through and, and then carried some of them on um, to fruition. Um, he's a real mixed bag, as I'm sure if you poked far and long enough into any politician's, uh, you know, background, you'd, you'd, you'd have the same issues on to, to varying degrees. But I mean, you know, it's just come to light fairly recently, or at least confirmation has been found uh, recently, um, uh, of what was always suspected, which was that when he was a uh, political candidate for president in 1968, that his people, Henry Kissinger among them, uh, sabotaged the Paris peace talks that the Johnson administration was having um, to try to bring a settlement to Vietnam and an end of the war. And the terms that were on the table at the Paris peace talks in 1968 were better than than the the final end of the war and uh, could have drawn things to a close probably prior to 1970 at the cost of considerably fewer lives so you know there uh, there's a lot about Nixon that that is to be applauded but then there's just you know the bombing of Cambodia there mm-hmm. uh, the the undermining of uh, Allende's um um, government in Chile, you know, mm-hmm. just things like that. That uh, and and I mean, God knows. I mean, uh, particularly American presidents, I think, have 
Western powers have, have got plenty of skeletons in their closets, but... Uh, perhaps you, but you yeah. can't become the president without skeletons in your closet. Yeah, perhaps. Well, I know I read a book about, about Nixon once, and his psychologist or psychiatrist, I can't remember which, was interviewed in it, and didn't reveal any dirt. But he he did say that he's become he became convinced that anyone that seeks the presidency should undergo psychiatric evaluation. <laughs> so that's interesting. Now, d- despite all of that, uh, I, I went. I, I saw the play with with my girlfriend, and, and we both went into it thinking that we were just going to really enjoy watching. Nixon come down and and everything and we 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 liked the character of Frost at the beginning of the play but throughout the play um, it it switched and we both started to like Nixon more and more he became more of a sympathetic character and and Frost a little bit less so as as the play went on uh, what what's your relationship with your character David Frost like well it's a mixed bag too I mean I you know, there, there's, he's certainly, yeah, it's, I, I mean, like going back to the sketch comedy stuff, he's, he's a mixed bag on that front and because he's, uh, he became famous for doing things for basically, you know, in many ways taking credit for things that weren't his to take credit for. But I think he was a tremendous showman. I think he was a fantastic producer. Um, and, um, you know, I mean, that, there's there's a there's a gag that you I, co- I couldn't for the life of me tell you which Python episode it is, my Monty Python, but most of the Pythons wrote for that was the week that was at some point, right? And the credit roll on that was the week that was used to be um, written by David Frost uh, with additional material by, and then it would just be a long list. Well. Um, that 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 wasn't exactly accurate according to a lot of the pythons that wrote on the show and and as you probably remember the pythons would frequently mess around with their end credits mm-hmm. and uh, on one of their shows as a way of sort of holding the index finger to their former employer <laughs> they had every every credit was credited to david frost <laughs> um, yeah and then the other anecdote i like to to tell was that uh um, the British comedian Peter Cook, um, he actually did save David Frost from drowning uh, when they happened to be vacationing together in Connecticut. And um, the playwright Alan Bennett at Peter Cook's funeral, when he was eulogizing Peter Cook, he he said that if Peter Cook had one regret in life, it was that he, <laughs> it was that he had saved David Frost from drowning. So I mean I, I I don't think there was I think David Frost was was a you know a charmer and and a profoundly professional minded um, entertainer and I, and I do think in the end he proved himself quite adept in a very um, in a very different way than what we were used to in North America um, I don't know if you can call what he did even in the Frost Nixon interviews hard hitting journalism. Um, you know, there's the joke that he tells in the play and he said in life, you can find the YouTube clip of him saying it, um, Frost, that is, saying that he hopes that what he's expecting from the president is a cascade of candor. Um, mm. And in a strange way, if you look at the other interviews that uh, Frost has conducted with politicians, that, 
and, you know, and there's a there's a line that I sort of I have as Frost in the play that uh, refers to himself in the face of Nixon as a friendly neighborhood confidant, and I I think there's some truth in those lines as to that 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 was his success as an interviewer. He I think he actually, and, and if you, you know, the, the actual prospects and interviews, he's not quite as hard-hitting as the play makes him out to be for dramatic purposes. And I think, I think that the, the, but the reason that he was so successful with Nixon um, and subsequent politicians is that he just, I think he gained their trust. Hmm. Um, I think that he really did, in some ways, have a knack for getting a cascade of candor. Um, out of the people that he spoke to, and he, and uh, yeah, as you say, he's not a journalist. He doesn't have that background, um, and yet he was he was able to take down well, well, at least elicit an apology and and a and an admission from Nixon in a way that perhaps um, a journalist couldn't. Yeah, no, I think I think that's that's entirely true. And I mean, if you if you look at the actual got you or got you moment in the uh, in the interviews themselves not the play it's a very interesting way he 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 gets that out of nixon and it's it's almost like a counselor hmm. it's almost like a counselor that's had a patient on the couch for a couple of hours running um and and one part priest almost you know it's it's just a very and there's a craft to that. There's a craft to that. And I think I think the fact that he wasn't a threatening personality had a lot to do with why he was able to get what he what uh, achieve what he did in those interviews. Well, um, Tarek Leslie, thank you very much for taking the time with us and telling us about Frost Nixon. We do have a pair of tickets to give away. Uh, so if you want to see Frost Nixon at Jericho Arts Centre, send an email to arts at citr.ca with the subject headline uh, Nixon, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you for telling us about the play and um, you know, enjoy the rest of the run. Thank you so very much. Appreciate it. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
Community. Are we good? Community Heart is an art exhibit showcasing the art of, indig- of indigenous women that took place on July 7th at the UBC Learning Exchange on Main Street. Arts reporter contributor Arlene Bowman attended the event and interviewed some of the women involved. Doris Fox, uh, Jacqueline Quaisance, Jacqueline West, uh, Lori Fox, Heisla Collins, and Georgina Wing. Arlene Bowman is an artist herself, completing her Bachelor of Fine Arts at the San Francisco Art Institute of in Photography. She also makes films, sings, and writes poetry. She participated uh, in a similar event in February uh, called In the Heart of a Woman. And here is Arlene's contribution to uh, On Community Heart. It's in Hamasquayam and Tatolis Fox. I'm from Musqueam and my name is Doris Fox. And I'm participating in this Community Heart Hearts art show at the UBC Learning Exchange on Main Street. And we're really excited that... Uh, Indigenous women artists can be a part of this as well. After our show at the Roundhouse, it's nice to have a smaller venue, but be more involved with the community, with the people from the community. We've um, had the opportunity to provide the community either at Hillcrest Community Centre or here at the UBC Learning Exchange with various workshops. Uh, The women artists were kind enough to donate their time and efforts to teach some of the students here uh, some of their own artwork, which was really exciting. It was nice that we got good feedback from the clients and some of the artists, the students are posting their art here at the exhibition. We're quite thrilled about that. Today I'm showing, or for this show, I'm showing some um, digital art of some of my clothing pieces. I've started a clothing line, and the the I've, I'm presenting the artwork, the sketches, the illustrations from those pieces of clothing. Um, it's it's the clothing is too expensive and big and bulky to be on display, so I have pictures that I've rendered to have and then also some of my artistic pieces that I've created uh, in the computer in Adobe Illustrator so I'm having those as well I do it because I have to I think I really I have to create uh, I think a part of it is because when I was three years old my grandma taught me how to sew and we were never allowed to just sit on the couch and read comics or or just play around. We had to actually be producing something. So we would darn socks or fix a hole in a sweater or whatever. We couldn't just sit around and do nothing because you get into trouble when you do nothing, she said. And so ever since then, I've I've... I learned how to sew at a very early age, and then she taught me how to knit and crochet, so I was always uh, creating something with her, and after she died, it was a way of me maintaining that connection with her by continuing to create, and then I moved into painting and uh, other art forms as well, so I, it's in me, it has to come out, and it's 
I, I have a hard time, like if I create a quilt or whatever, I have a hard time selling my art. I'll, I've given away every quilt I've ever made. And people say, oh, I want to see pictures. But I don't have pictures because I never thought to take pictures. Um, I do now. Uh, it's nice to look back at how my art style has changed and the way that I do things has changed. It's, it's just something that I have to do. I have to do it. It brings me joy. It makes me remember the love that my grandma had for me to be able to teach me those things. And uh, I'm blessed. I, I do some of our traditional um, quote-unquote art um, techniques with the cedar bark baskets and Salish weaving and beading and other uh, leather work and that kind of stuff. Uh, and, and I thoroughly enjoy being able to pass that, those traditional arts on to other people, other of my Holmuch people that don't know how to do those things because they didn't, they didn't have the blessing that I did in having elders to, to be able to share that knowledge with them. So I'm, I'm grateful to be able to do that. So not only do I have to do it, I do it and I teach others how to do it for the love of sharing Hi, my name is Jacqueline uh, Kizans. I'm from the Kiskus Nation in Saskatchewan. And uh, for this Community Hearts exhibition, I am showing a series or a body of work of acrylic paintings. Um, yeah, and I have one pastel that I've thrown in there because there was an extra frame around, hanging around. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I create because um, it's pleasurable. I find uh, watching something come be created out of nothing fascinating. And to be the one doing that creating is pretty cool that, uh, that I'm able to do that. And I found a way to be creative through painting and pastels and um, just seeing color color excites me and it it makes me feel uh well i express through uh through my artwork and uh i'll go to my painting or my my artwork when uh when i want to when i'm in a happy mood and sometimes when i'm bored it's uh it's a discipline it becomes a discipline and sometimes it becomes uh, a way to pass the time and uh, to keep my hands busy, and sometimes it becomes uh, cathartic uh, when I I have something. There's no other way to express it, and and so I use art to express myself uh, in a whole range of different emotions that I that I experience. I started painting. Um, I think I was about twenty mid-twenties I think and uh, before that I had I had never it hadn't taken up a lot of my time before that I always had an interest but I always felt a little intimidated by art and artists and there's a whole I think persona around artists and the mystique and it's fascinating and so I always felt kind of outside of that and then uh I met someone and he showed me his paintings 
and what he how he would paint and it was very uh, I don't know it was like organic and so I got to see how simple uh, making art can be and 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 so it gave me the courage to begin making art and and pastels was the first uh, medium I used on paper and uh, oil pastels and that was just a kind of a sensation it's uh, it's a physical sensation um, I found putting the colors down and moving them around on the paper and seeing how I could manipulate the the oil pastels and um, yeah and so that's how I, I, I started making art and then uh, I enjoyed it and uh, so I kept doing it and I used pencils and uh, I haven't actually painted so so the paintings that I've, I'm showing in this exhibition um, it's a it's a big step for me because I haven't like I said I started on paper and I and I remained using paper and making art on paper for years. I'm 41 and this was 25 and so it took till I was 40 41 to actually put paint down on a canvas. <laughs> so it's it took a lot of years to progress uh, to feel brave enough to actually apply some paint on a canvas so and so that opened up a whole new world in itself uh like the pastel and paper was you know i remember that being my first first time i made art and now painting with uh on canvas is pretty cool so so that's what i'm doing right now and uh those are the the, the majority of the work i have here are uh on canvas acrylic paintings on canvas so six years ago about six years ago, yeah, I was introduced to Adobe Illustrator, and I went, oh, "Wow, where have you been all my life?" <laughs> it's so, it's so much fun. It's, it's a just a different medium. Uh, I do acrylic and uh, watercolors, watercolor pencil crayons, pencil crayons, charcoal pastels, but then I discovered this totally different media <laughs> that's it's uh it's so freeing to be able to change your mind and go oh no i don't like it like that and delete hit the delete button and it's gone <laughs> and then to be able to to add things and and move things around whereas with with the watercolors and the acrylics and other, you know, mediums such as that, it's not as easy to change your mind and and change it. I have done where I've completely gessoed the canvas over and started again because it wasn't exactly the way I like it. With doing it in the computer, it's it's fun. It's it's just different. It's just different. Okay. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so the name of this exhibition. And when will it take place? You want to both say that, or one of you? 
What is the name of it exactly? Community Hearts is the name. Uh, It's at the UBC Learning Exchange on Main Street. It's starting today, July the 7th, 2015, and will be going. And the last day is the 21st of July, and our takedown is on the 22nd. So it's open to the public. Everybody is welcome to come in and take a tour of the building. The uh, display will be on the first and second floor, which is really nice. So today we're having interactive displays as well. So whoever comes to the reception will be able to participate and get their fingers right in. Uh, But after that, everybody is welcome. As long as the uh, center is open, you're welcome to come in and have a look and enjoy. It's great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Eileen. Hotsquile Tenoyap. Hello, everybody. My name is Jacqueline West. My ancestral name is Yatsamot, and I am from the Squamish Nation in North Vancouver, British Columbia, of the Coast Salish people. Today, I'm fortunate enough to be part of an exhibition here at the UBC Learning Exchange, and I will be showing Dreamcatchers as well as a panel dedicated to the missing and murdered indigenous women. The panel I created was very close to my heart. It was something very touching that gave a lot of um, emotion that came out of it. I was very fortunate enough and blessed to make the piece with the collective that I'm a part of. We all got to make a piece. And the dream catchers I will be showing are of all different sizes, from three inch wide to 16 inch wide and they are used with different mediums such as satin cording, uh, sinew, precious stones and different kinds of animal feathers. Dreamcatchers is my main interest when it comes to creating art. I also enjoy doing beadwork and cedar work. Dreamcatchers are not originally Coast Salish however I do feel I have a very strong connection to the Dreamcatcher, and I feel like my heart is um, full after I've completed making one. My name's Georgina Wing. I'm Simsian. I'm from the Essenton area, and I lived in Prince Rupert for quite a few years. I do button blankets and all First Nation arts and crafts. I didn't know nothing about arts and craft till I was about 43 years old. And I was watching a bunch of elders doing button blankets, and I was really interested. Um, so I started watching them, and then I started working with the school board, and I wanted everyone to know what a button blanket was. It took me years of learning all different, like what the custom is to make in a button blanket. Black represents power, red is the bloodline, black is a man's button blanket, and a woman's is red. Some nations do double-headed or mirrored images. Some have like five-finned whales when they wear it on certain occasions, the birth, the death, ceremonies the coming out. There's so many different things where people all get together and celebrate. Have you seen a murdered women art piece in this? 
Yes, I did have, not in this one I didn't bring it, but um, I did do one about um, my mom was murdered up north, and um, I did it for to represent her and all the other women that walked along or even along the Highway of Tears and um, walking to the Creator. I think it's a lot of the women were lonely, wanting to be loved, and there was so much um, racism, you know, it's just... And with the residential schools, a lot of them weren't um, treated right because their, their parents didn't learn about how to take care of their children and they had problems of their own and it carried on to the next um, generation and that generation after didn't know how to do parenting skills and their children suffered so I'd have to say three generations were destroyed because of the residential school and now we're just starting to learn you know the parents are starting to get their parenting skills Hi there, I'm Heisla Collins. I'm from the Chimshan, Nishka, Gitsan peoples, uh, as well as Scottish and Irish and Dutch and, and so forth. The work that I have in the show is a combination between beadwork and button blankets and drawings. Coming from two different projects, the first one is a mentorship with Georgina Wing doing button blankets, and the second is an indigenous ancient Egyptian fusion project and so the work that I've shown that I'm showing in this exhibit are either from these two projects or from the block printing workshops that I gave here at UBC Learning Exchange. I'm a career artist so I make art as a as a matter of course as as my job basically put in time every week uh, to work in the studio and work on my projects and I, I like to teach, I like to share my ideas with other people and I'm a firm believer in accessible education so I believe that education is for everybody and is a human right. I have been an artist since I was 13 years old so 23 years now. I've been doing jewelry for the last five years a friend of mine was basically showing me how to do First Nations stitch embroidery style beading. And so I took that form and I kind of went with it. I took out every book in the library that had anything to do with beading and I made photocopies. And then I started teaching it and started uh, figuring out the methods well enough to show them to other people. And I've, I've kind of um, experimented and and evolve from there. Hi, my name is Amy. What do you think of the show? Today when I joined the store in uh, 612 Main Street, wow, this is an excellent exhibition. Uh, for example, something like the art of uh, uh, the beading, uh, some of the drawing, some of the sewing, oh, those are amazing. And I, I feel that lots of people, they have the intelligence and lots of things are full of the creative. That's wonderful. Um, my name is Stella Wong. Uh, it's so nice to come here to see this exhibition. The arts are so beautiful. I love it. 
and I like that, that kind of beating with something like the nails because uh, I started learning this kind of art here, so it is really, really. I love it. To CITR 101.9 FM, you're tuned in to the Arts Report, um, and I am here with Andy. How are you doing? I'm doing, still doing all right. How are you doing? <laughs> still, still doing all right. Um, later today, you're gonna go check out some some art. I am gonna check out some art. I'm gonna go to uh, Bar on the Beach with fellow arts contributor Mikey. Uh, we're gonna see King Lear. You guys are going to you're going to be doing arts reporting. We are. You will you will be arts reporting later tonight. We are. Yeah, I'm I'm excited. And you've um, you uh, you have you seen King Lear before? I've never seen it staged. I've seen um, the Kurosawa film Ran, which is a Japanese adaptation of King Lear. Fairly different, but same kind of concept. Oh, cool. Right on. Well, I'm really excited to have you guys uh, on the show next week to hear about it. Um, For those who are not going to see King Lear tonight, um, there are some things around town that you might be interested in looking at. One of them is called, it's a film that opens in Vancouver this Friday. It's called The Look of Silence. It's directed by Joshua Oppenheimer and it's produced by Werner Herzog. And it's a documentary film about an optometrist who um, confronts some of the men uh, in power um, and some of the men who uh, killed his brother during the 1965 Indonesian genocide. Um, So it looks like a really powerful documentary film that is um, opening in Vancouver this Friday and definitely worth checking out. Um, And are there other things that we should tell the people about perhaps um there's a well there's i mean there's always things happening <laughs> uh there's the tribe happening at the cinematech yes um, july 23rd to the 27th and the 29th uh not really sure what this is about actually jake do you know i do yeah i'm i'm excited and i'm i'm nervous about the tribe because the tribe um looks very intense it's a i th- i think it's a polish film polish directed but i'm not entirely sure Ooh, don't quote me on that maybe ukrainian i think ukrainian yeah um and it is shot entirely in ukrainian sign language um and with no subtitles so the whole film is um ukrainian sign language wow that's incredible yeah so you you have to it, you you immerse yourself in the story and i think you through the sign language you 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 know kind of get the story and i i suspect that you would pick up more than you might think if you don't speak ukrainian or if you're not fluent in ukrainian sign, sign language, language yeah. yeah cool um i'm yeah I, I i but i also know that it's a film about um a boarding school and boarding school gangs, violent um, gangs in this 
boarding school for the deaf in the Ukraine. So I, I think that it's um, a very dramatic film, and it's from a breakout young director too. I don't remember his name at the moment. Mm-hmm. It's also incredibly violent, apparently. So that's interesting if, you're, if that's something you're into. If you're into, into yeah, violence in film, this is uh, something you might want to check out. The Cinematheque. And if you're afraid of violence, but you like really good movies, then it's it maybe it's worth it. Maybe because it looks really intense. But I'm afraid of violence in, <laughs> in movies. Um, we also so we're near the end of our show now. Um, we are will be here next week. But if you have any questions or comments or concerns, or if you know of some cool arts things, or if you want to get involved in the arts report. Um, send us an email at arts at citr.ca um, and you can get a hold of us that way we'll be here next week we've also got a congratulations to give out um, to some uh, I think we I think we have a ticket winner um, for the Frost Nixon tickets we, we got uh, we heard back and we have a winner in, you will be contacted by email after the show if you happen to be that winner um, and up next, we have Sharing Science. Um, Sharing Science comes on. We we were talking about it earlier. We've both caught caught parts of it as we were leaving the show. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a great show. It's a show where so um, science students at UBC from different faculties discuss different science topics. Um, 